We are brothers in Christ, yes. and I wanted him to come to you this morning. So if you will, would stand with me as we welcome uh, Pastor John. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Good morning. People free to have a seat. You know, if I've got three daughters, and if I tell them about the Sisters of Power, they're going to leave my church and come here. Because they want to be part of that dancing. That was beautiful. I'm honored to be here with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Sanders and I are getting to know each other. We've been friends for a little while. We've had some good conversations. And are starting to talk very openly about some hard conversations. And we need that, right? As a church, as the people of God, we need to be able to have openness even when the conversations are difficult. And I love Pastor Sanders, and I'm thankful for him, and I trust him. And uh, praise God for that. He, I, I look forward, uh, if you ever want to come visit New City, you can, because we're sure going to send our people to visit you from time to time. So we hope we can grow in relationship with you as one people in Jesus. Amen? Uh, we are going to be looking at the story of Joseph today. It's a familiar story. Thank you. It's a familiar story. And we're going to be looking at the very end of it. And... Um, we're going to be looking at chapters 45 in Genesis and chapters 50 of Genesis. And uh, just, I hope that as you hear this sermon, it doesn't really have to do with Black History Month, but maybe there's some applications for it. Because whatever you've been through in your life, every person has a point of pain in their life, right? How do you get free from the pain of the past so that you, in faith, can move forward into the future? Are you frozen by the pain of the past or how do you get free for the future? You remember Joseph's story. Joseph was the favorite son of 12 in Jacob's family. Amen. And they, his father loved him more than anybody else. That's right. And everybody knew it. Amen. His father gave him a coat of many colors and the brothers couldn't handle it. They didn't like it. So they betrayed him and he became enslaved. He was sold into slavery in Egypt. And even there, he did everything right, but it all went wrong. He was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife of doing something he did not do. And he got thrown into prison. And when he was in prison, he was faithful. He rose to power. He did what he should have done. And yet he was forgotten. There we go. He was forgotten by the very person who said, I will remember you if I get out of prison. Can't you see how the pain in his life is just building? And finally, he gets out of prison and he works his way up in Pharaoh's house and becomes the number two man in Egypt. He becomes the number two man in Egypt. Is it still working? Is it on? Yeah, it's on. It's on? Okay, okay. It's just me then. It's my ears. Uh, he becomes the number two man in Egypt and all of a sudden, his brothers come back in the picture. They thought he was dead. They didn't realize that he was now the number two man in Egypt. And Joseph has an opportunity. He has an opportunity as he thinks about the pain of the past. He now has power over them. And he could really hurt them. He could show vengeance against, against them. But Joseph isn't frozen by the pain of the past. 
He is freed for the future. If you've got a Bible, open to Genesis 45, and we're going to start in verse 1 and go through 15, and then we're going to flip over to Genesis 50. So this is the word of God from Genesis 45. His brothers are in the room with them. They do not know it's him, and he reveals himself to them right here. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Jesus said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. Skip down to verse 15. And he kissed all his brothers, and he wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. The revealing of Joseph. Then turn over to Genesis 50. This is years and years later. Genesis 50, verse 15, and we'll go to the end of the book. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Wow. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, we ask that we would not just receive information from your word, but transformation from your spirit. We pray that you would be with the preacher, that you would forgive him for his sins are many, but your grace is mighty. We pray that we would, uh, we would learn from you and that we would be changed as we understand the story of Joseph. We pray that the Holy Spirit would get into our thinking and would get into our spirits and change the way we operate in life through your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Are you frozen by the pain of the past or are you freed for the future? At a funeral, there was the adult children of a person who had died. Their daddy had died and they were all at this funeral. And the daddy had not been a very good daddy. He had been a mean daddy. And when he was in the home, it was like he wasn't even there and they wished he wasn't even there. He never gave his kids presents. He never really sat down and talked to them. He was absent even when he was present. And he was hard for them just to be around their daddy. And as these children grew older, it, the tension got even more strained with their father. To the point where some of those children had to say, Daddy, I just can't be around you for more than an hour every once in a while because it is so painful. Yes. You're mean to us. And as those adult children got older, you can understand that the pain in their souls just got deeper and wider, and they had a hard time even being around their daddy at all. And so when their father died at that funeral, they stood grimacing, wrestling, how am I supposed to say something positive about a man who was so mean my whole life? And they wrestled with the pain of the past. But one child, one child was at that funeral smiling. One child had been part of that family and had seen everything else that those other siblings had seen, but they were at that funeral celebrating. Not celebrating his death, but celebrating his life. Speaking words of affirmation and respect to the father that had mistreated her. You know, no one can blame you or no one can blame those siblings for being bitter. The pain of the past gets in our souls and it sours us and makes us bitter. But it also begs the question, how did that one sibling get to the point where they were free for the future? They could be at that funeral and they could celebrate the life of a man who had not been a very good man. But they could choose to see the positive things in his life and celebrate those and speak words of honor and respect at his funeral. How did that person get free from the pain of the past so they could walk forward with faith in the future. That's what this passage today shows us from the book of Genesis. See, what happens when you and I go through pain, often it freezes us right where we're at. When you and I go through trauma, it inhibits our ability to mature as a person. We just get stuck. And the only thing we can think about is what that person or that thing or whoever did to us. 
Psychologists say that when you go through trauma, it's very hard to mature after that. It's like if you go through something hard when you're 15, you get kind of frozen at age 15. And it's hard to become emotionally more immature and get past the pain of the past. Are you feeling me? Okay, you've been through it. You know. You know. All right. Love you, Pastor. Now, here's the thing. There are these things called freedom facades. A facade is like a mirage. If you're in the desert and you're going through the sand and you look ahead and it looks like there's this pool of water that's going to refresh you and there's a palm tree, but you get there and there's no pool of water, it's just more sand. That's what a mirage is. That's what a facade is. And there are freedom facades, things that hold out to you the possibility of freedom, but when you get there, that's not freedom. You still got the pain of the past present with you. Here's a couple of them. A freedom facade is, I'm going to shut down. The pain of the past is too much, and so emotionally, I'm just going to shut down. I don't want to feel it no more. I want to just go numb, right? But that's a facade, because when you shut down, you just check out. And you're not really present in life. In fact, that's where addictions often start for us, because we're trying to find something that'll numb the pain. Jesus. Shutting down is just a facade of freedom. Yes, amen. A second freedom facade is you got to get it. You got to get it says I can move on from the pain of the past if you will just understand what you did to me. If I can get you to understand the pain that you caused me, then it'll set me free and I can move on. But how is that person going to understand the pain that when you that you went through when they're not you? You get stuck trying to convince somebody of what they did to you and you may or may not ever convince them that is a freedom facade here's another one God owes me God put me through some stuff and I'm here and I'm following you God but now you owe me on the other side. I went through some hard times, so God, you better give me some good times. And we get trapped. We get trapped because we start asking God, here is what the good times got to look like. Here is what redemption's got to look like. I understand that you took me through some bad stuff, but now it's got to look a certain way. And all of a sudden, we put ourselves in the place of God, and God never promised us anything. And we get stuck in those expectations of what we hope God will do to redeem our story. It's another facade. The last one is, I'm going to equal the score. Revenge. Man, that's, that's our first response, isn't it? But I saw, a, I saw a movie called The Count of Monte Cristo. There's a book. I'll confess I didn't read the book. I just watched the movie. But in that movie, a man, the main character, is wronged. And his story gets set straight. But he spends the rest of the movie planning an elaborate revenge to equal the score. And I thought, how sad. In the beginning of the movie, his life gets set right, but he spends the whole rest of the story trying to equal the score. That's not freedom. That's a facade. That's a trap. Freedom facades offer us this mirage of freedom, but it's not really true. It's not really true. So we have to ask ourselves, are we frozen by the pain of the past, or are you freed to forgive? Because forgiveness isn't a facade. Forgiveness is real, and it will provide you freedom for the future. 
See, in Joseph's story, he is in power, and his brothers come back to him, and they find out it's him. And the debt that they owe him resurfaces. You see, they've made his life go terribly, terribly wrong. And all of a sudden, he has power over them, and he can give them some payback. But instead of paying them back, he forgives them. Not only forgives them, but offers them words of comfort. Not only offers them words of comfort, but says, I will take care of you and your children. Freedom. Freedom. I want to be a person like that, that when I'm wronged, I don't respond with revenge. I say, guess what? I'm going to take care of you. I forgive you. Let me comfort you. Do not fear. But then Jacob dies, the daddy for the whole family. And the brothers are afraid. We know that Joseph said he forgave us, but maybe that was just to please daddy. And now that daddy's dead, we're going to see the real Joseph and who he is. And so the brothers send a messenger. They don't even go themselves. They send a messenger to Joseph. And the messenger says, look, uh, your brothers want you to know that your daddy said you should be nice to him. Now that's not in the story. So we get the, we get the idea that Joseph's brothers actually made that up. You know, they're terrified. So they say, let's just make something up. Let's send a messenger. He'll go and he'll tell Joseph, hey, be nice to your kids. And we'll tell him daddy said it. Joseph gets the message and he weeps. Why did he cry? Why was he crying? Was it the pain of the past? Or was it the fact that Joseph had already forgiven them? And he had already moved on. And he was pained that they had not been able to. Joseph did not shut down emotionally. He was available. He wasn't numb. When he heard the message of the the fear of his brothers, it pained him that they had been in pain so long. And he weeped for them. And again, he offers them words of comfort. Do not fear. I forgive you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you and your little ones. I'm not going to come after your children. I'm going to make sure that they are taken care of. Joseph was freed to forgive. How did he get there? How did he get there to the point where he could so radically forgive his brothers? Well, it tells us in the story. It says that he looked to God and the character of God. The first thing he says is, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. You see, Joseph knew that his God was a God who had a purpose. Now, that didn't mean that their, that their sins were okay. But it did mean that God had used a messed up situation and brought about good from it. And Joseph finds a freedom to forgive his brothers as he looks to God who has a purpose. Maybe you're going through some stuff right now. And I'm not going to lie and say it's going to be easy or it's going to go away right away. But have you looked to the God who has a purpose? To the God who can take a bad situation and bring about something good from it. See, God not only has a purpose, but he is a God who is a redeemer. And someone who's a redeemer takes messed up stuff and makes good out of it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't like that. 
I would rather God take good things and bring good things out of it, right? I don't want him to take bad stuff in my life and make it good. I'd rather just be good all the time. But here's the thing. God only has messed up people and messed up situations to work with. Which one of us isn't messed up? You know what I'm saying? God takes broken things, he takes messed up people, and he brings about good. God only has messed up people to work with. And that's good news for us because God is a redeemer. That doesn't give anybody a free pass. Joseph doesn't give his brothers a free pass. He still says, you did evil. He doesn't say it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. He says, you did evil. But God has redeemed this situation and he brought me to Egypt so that I could be put in the house of Pharaoh and I could be in charge of preparing for a famine. So that many people would be saved. When they, had, when they didn't have food, I would be in the place to provide food for them. God has a purpose. God has a redeemer. But also, God is a judge. And in case you didn't know, I'm not him. And you're not him either. Neither of us, none of us are the judge. And that's what Joseph says. Joseph says, do not fear for am I in the place of God. See, what's going on right there in that room is the debt that they owe him for messing up his life. Everyone knows it. It's palpable, right? His life went sideways because they betrayed him and enslaved him. But Joseph says, I am not going to take revenge because vengeance is not mine. It's only God's. He is the judge and I am not him. There is a debt owed, but it's not his job to repay it. And because of that, Joseph is free. As he looks to the God who has a purpose, the God who is a redeemer, and the God who is a judge, Joseph finds freedom to forgive. And you and I can find freedom to forgive as well. And you know what? We actually have more power and more clarity than Joseph did. Because we have the gospel. We have the gospel. The gospel tells us that God is a judge and that we owe him a debt because we have sinned against him. Every man, woman, and child owes God a debt because we have rebelled against him. God has said, make me the center of your life. and said, no, thank you. I'm okay. I'm going to do my own thing. And we find that we're in a courtroom with God face-to-face with the judge. And he's ready to slam that gavel down on us. If that gavel slams, before there is reconciliation, you and I risk spending eternity apart from God. In the courtroom of God, staring face-to-face with the judge because of the debt owed. But the good news of the gospel says God is not only a judge, he is a redeemer. Yes, he is. See, God in his great love for you and for me sent his son Jesus into the world to take the punishment that you and I deserve. To go face to face with the judge so that we didn't have to. Jesus came into this world fully God and fully man and was put on the cross for you and I. And there, God the judge poured out his wrath on his son so that we, you and I, would not have to receive the wrath of the judge. And therefore, if you know Jesus, you're no longer in the courtroom with God. He's taken you to his family table. And he's showered you with kindness and affection. He's poured out his spirit on you. He's given you a family to worship him with. And he promises, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. 
You see, Joseph had this vague idea of who God was, but we have the God of the gospel. We have the God of the gospel. And so when we look to the pain of our past and it freezes us, we have the ability to look at God and say, if you, haven't forgi- if you have forgiven me my great sin, then I can forgive their sin against me. That person owes me a debt. But Jesus has paid my debt. I want to pay back, but God didn't pay me back. Instead, he put Jesus on the cross in my place. And as we begin to look at the gospel, it actually frees us to forgive. It frees us to forgive. It sets us free. The pain is still there. We still got to wrestle, but we now have a new power to forgive. And that power is the gospel. But I want to be real with you. When someone wrongs you, you can forgive them, but your life might still be messed up, right? Your life has still gone sideways from the story you wanted to live out. You're you're forgiving someone, but you might be a little upset with God that your life isn't the way you wanted it. And you might still wonder, why did my life go the way it did? So how do you get freed from that for the future? Well... Joseph shows us that you have to have faith not only in God's character, but faith in God's story. Faith in God's story. You know, a lot of times we talk about Joseph and we say, you know, Joseph, eventually it all worked out for him and he rose to power. And some of that's true. But you've got to understand something about Joseph. Even when he rises to number two in the kingdom, he's still enslaved. He's not a free man. He's still enslaved. And even though he's given reign of the whole kingdom, you know where his heart is? The promised land. The land that has been promised to his forefathers. And so his life has permanently gone sideways, even though he's gained some power, even though he's number two in the kingdom. To him, that doesn't matter as much as being back where God had promised. Now, in light of that, he still dies full of faith. Has your life ever gone sideways and you're like, man, I just want to get it back on track? And then you start to get a little bitter at God. And you're wondering, God, why has my story gone this way? When are you going to correct it? And you start to lose faith. But Joseph dies full of faith. He dies full of faith. He tells his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What Joseph's saying is, look, my life went sideways, but that's okay. Because my story, even though it's broken, is still part of God's story. And you can't stop God's story. And God's story never goes sideways. The promises of God are true, and you can't ever turn them off. You can't stop God from doing what he's going to do. And your story is always part of God's story. See, I think sometimes we think that faith is, my story is going to work out the way I want it to. Okay. You ever feel that, God, I have faith that you're going to work my story out the way that I want it to. But that's not faith at all. That's more like a Rocky movie. You know, Rocky Balboa? Yes. Rocky Balboa, where he he has some haters, and then all of a sudden he rises to power, and it goes the way he wants it to. Sometimes our stories just don't go the way we want it to. But faith is this. Faith is believing God is using our story in the advancement of his story, no matter what happens in our story. No matter what happens in our story. And the freedom comes because your story, no matter which direction it goes, it doesn't sink you. 
When bad things happen to you and they are not what you wanted, it doesn't have to sink you because you are still in God's story. Not only that, you can actually step into hard things because you know no matter what happens, what risk you take, God is going to work his story out. You know, if you look at the people in the New Testament, most of them who wrote books in the New Testament were killed. Amen. Now that their stories went pretty sideways, but God used their stories to advance His story. If you read about the man named Stephen in the early part of the Book of Acts, he was killed. He was martyred. But as soon as he is killed, the gospel goes like wildfire out of Jerusalem. You see, God used His messed up story to advance His own story. Stephen's story seemed to go sideways, but God used it to advance His purposes. And God will do the same with you. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the real freedom comes for us when we start to go, look, God, I'm going to let go of how I want it to work out. I understand my story has gone sideways, but, but you're in charge. And I trust and I believe that my story has not fallen outside of your story. Even though my life has gone sideways, you will use it to advance your purposes. And so Joseph, man, he's on his deathbed, but he has a freedom to die. That, that doesn't even make sense, free to die, but that's the kind of freedom Joseph finds because he believes that God is still writing his story with his story. He, ride, he dies chasing the promises of God. And his faithfulness in God, his faith in God, blessed people for hundreds and hundreds of generations, or hundreds and hundreds of years. You see, Joseph says, look, I'm going to die, and then there'll be my body, and you'll have my bones in a box. But I want you to carry my bones all the way to the promised land. I want you to carry my bones all the way to the promised land. See, even in his death, he's believing that his story is going to be part of God's story. And you can imagine the Israelites, every time they set up camp, once they had escaped Egypt and were in the desert, every time they set up camps, someone was carrying the box of Joseph's bones. And they remembered, we can't quit. Joseph told us not to quit. We're supposed to bring his bones all the way to the promised land. And see, brothers and sisters, when you walk faithfully, believing in God's story, even though your life goes sideways, it blesses somebody else. It gives somebody else faith. Jesus. Even when they want to quit. And that's actually what Joseph is known for. Hebrews 11.22 says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph's bones are still encouraging us. Amen. You know, I want to share just a quick story to bring this to a close. Um, we, we made a move to start New City Fellowship about three years ago. I grew up down here, but I was a pastor up in St. Louis and was planning on returning home. We came down here about three years ago to explore the possibility of starting a new church in this area, in the East Hollywood, Hallandale area. And my wife and I spent about two weeks meeting with pastors, meeting with people, just talking. Does God want a new church here, another church? And the message we receive from pastors and churches is, please come, we need more churches. We were so encouraged by our visit here. And we went back up to St. Louis and we prayed and we talked, and we thought about it, and we finally said, we're going to do it. 
Now, I was a pastor at a church there, and they were very free and open. They, they said, we want you to go and explore. And if you, if you go and explore and you decide to go, we'll support you. But as soon as we made a decision to plant the church, as soon as it came out of our mouths, things got unbelievably hard. Things got unbelievably hard. The first thing that happened was the church... Though they loved us, they said, listen, the budget just turned sideways. And we got to let you go. And it wasn't a thing. I, we still love them. I was up. I'm going to go visit them in a couple months. So it's not like it's a bad thing. But it really threw me for a loop. We were planning on having nine months to prepare to come back. And all of a sudden, I, I've got to go and I've got to sell my house. And then we find out, you know what? The probably the best thing for our family, because my wife's job in St. Louis wasn't over, is if I come to Florida and she stays near there. And we had to spend two months apart. And I go, this is not what I planned, God. This thing is going sideways really quick. Well, then, when we came down here, we moved in with my parents up in Fort Lauderdale. And when we moved in with them, uh, we started looking for houses down in this area. And we'd come and look at a house. We'd put an offer on it. They wouldn't even call us back. We'd put another offer on another house. They wouldn't call us back. We looked at over 100 houses in the neighborhood. And we could not get a house to start a church that, that, that God had called us to start. And so when I'm down here doing ministry and I'm saying, hey, we're going to start a, a new church in the East Hollywood Hallandale area. And people say, that's great. Where do you live? And I'd say, Fort Lauderdale. Wow, Lord. And all of a sudden in my mind, I'm, I'm, you, can, you can see my heart just starting to sink each time I have to tell people that story. Yeah. Because in my mind, the, the story was going sideways. Yeah. While we were living with my parents, there was a woman in the neighborhood who was a neighbor to my parents. And, and she had some issues, and she got kind of obsessed with my wife and children. Jesus. And she would meet them in the driveway and start yelling at them and threatening them. The cops got involved, and it was a mess. My wife doesn't even want to go outside. And I'm going, Lord, this has gone completely sideways. People are asking me, how many followers do you have in your church? I said, we don't have any. Well, there's this one woman. She's kind of following us around, but it's not really what I want. And I had to really wrestle with our story going sideways. And I started to feel like, this isn't it, God. This can't, this can't be it. This can't be it. You can't be in this. I mean, we felt so strongly that you had called us and led us, but this thing is going haywire. I had to come to the point where I was willing to wrestle. I'm still in God's story. I'm still in God's story. Even though this is so messed up, this is so broken, it's so sideways, we're still here. And I'll be honest with you, it's still a process for me. But as I hold on to God's promises with faith, I am now empowered to walk following God's story no matter what's happening around me. And it could be that God just wanted to work some things out of me before we started. And maybe he wants to work some things out of you. Let me encourage you to redefine your story as part of God's bigger story. See your story through the eyes of faith. Get to know his promises. All things are working for your good according to his purposes. 
see the promises just as clearly as you see the tragedies. Move forward in faith and be freed for the future. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the story of Joseph and we thank you for what it shows us. We pray that we would more clearly hold on to the promises that you give us that through Jesus we might be free to forgive and free to move forward in the future. I pray for our, our brothers and sisters here at Higher Vision, Lord, that you would bless them and that you would use them in this community in ways that they could never imagine. Be with this church, and we pray your blessings and grace on it. And we thank you for Pastor Sanders and his wife and much blessing on them. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen.